0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Welcome to the weekly wrap. Looking back at the week with me is Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg. And this podcast is proudly brought to you by sharenet.co.za. Choppy week, but loads and loads of news, Graham.
1: Yeah, um, I think, Lindsay, on, on, on balance, we've we've, uh, we've got the result season behind us. Very, very mixed bag. Um, and uh, yeah, I think your your um, sort of intro around the the, the rating uh, review, and I think markets probably resigning to themselves to the fact that uh, we we've, we've probably you know been given a, a free pass once too often by Moody's, and I think they will probably put us on a negative watch in spite of some progress at some of the the state-owned enterprises. I think that's sort of dominating a lot of people's thinking. Um, Yeah, but it's just a very anxious time for the world, I think, Um, and particularly South Africa. Um, Business confidence remains very, very subdued. Um, You know, anything exposed to the consumer remains under quite a lot of pressure. And I think it's still a case of a lot of people saying, okay, well, we only have to wait until the 8th of May uh, for an answer to whether South Africa is going sort of left or right at this walk in the road. I think everybody now is saying we've only got roughly five weeks um, until the the national elections. And uh, then we'll know whether we're going left or right um, as a country.
0: Okay. Um, Let's have a look at – well, let's not look forward to the election. We'll do that in subsequent weeks. But let's have a look at some of the things that have happened this week we've had, and indeed the month and the quarter, we've had a really good quarter and month for commodity stocks. And you can go through a couple of the mm-hmm. numbers if you want to. Came to a bit of a halt yesterday in quite dramatic fashion. And I hope that's not the start of something. But it tends to, you tend to get a shot across the bowels when a trend is changing. I really hope that's not the case. On the economic front, we've had the Reserve Banks unchanged stance on the repo rate. We've also had a lot of yep. chatter internationally about the inverted yield curve in the States. We can talk about that. Yep. We can briefly touch on Brexit yep. and we'll get, get Confused and annoyed, both of us. Le- leading economic indicator came out from South Africa, not good at all. NASPES going to Euronext in Amsterdam with its internet offering. Yeah. A few other things. Capitech was a big story on the results side as results come to an end. Results season comes to an end, that is. So where yeah. do you want to start? Let's yeah. start with commodities. Everyone loves a good commodity yeah. run.
1: Well, I think, um, Lindsay, what you're alluding to is the uh, the fairly significant decline in, um, in the platinum stocks. Um, uh, yesterday um, being being Thursday, and, of course, palladium under a fair amount of pressure and some of the technicians saying, you know, this is quite significant. And I think that, in part, being brought on by concerns around uh, what you were also asking for us to chat about, you know, what is an inverted yield curve on the short end of the curve in America telling us? And I think people starting to get a little bit anxious about um, – about things like platinum and palladium if we are going to see um, a lower growth scenario. So, um, yeah, platinum stocks have been um, have been quite choppy. I mean, they still have had a, a phenomenal run. I mean, you've got to see it in context. If you yes. look at Amplats, it's up over 100% on a one-year view. But if you look over the last month, uh, giving back a little over 5%. But uh, you know the, the the diversifiers, being Anglo's, uh, Billiton and, and Glencore, far less volatile. Anglo American, for example, um, on a one-month view, still up roughly three percent, and on a one-year view, a similar sort of, uh not a similar sort of number, over forty percent. Uh, Glencore themselves. Um, up six percent and, uh, and and about two percent on a one-year view. Billiton's also being quite strong, and more recently we've seen, for example, Sassel recovering. So I think I think those that are, are are quite big in iron ore and copper are still benefiting from from uh, commodity prices being higher, particularly the iron ore producers, courtesy of that Vale accident. Um, and you've seen Kumba, for example, also perform strongly. So I, th- I think, in a way, Platinums have been on their own mission for a while and probably discounting um, you know, some good news, and, and uh, particularly around Platinum, maybe not so much Palladium. And I wouldn't be reading too much into uh, the price action of the Platinum stocks the precursor for what we think may happen in, in the diversified miners. I think uh, you know iron ore, coal, copper, um, diamonds have all got very different di- drivers to to platinum. So I'm not too anxious about that. But I think importantly that that yield curve inversion. A lot of people sort of panicked about it. Others sort of poo pooed it and said, well, it's not really telling us anything profound. But I I do think it's significant that. Uh, that uh, the 10-year has, has fallen as sharply as it has. I think it is telling us that that the market – and maybe that's why why Powell um, and his friends decided to hold off on on rate hikes and sort of started taking an even more overt, let's watch the data kind of stance. I think the market's saying, well, what do they know that we don't know? And I think added to that this um, – fall in bond yields and the inversion of the 10-year of the over the two, I think, has, uh, has got people a little bit concerned about the economic growth prospects for, for the U.S., maybe looking a year or two out.
0: Yes, if you really need a good explanation on what happened or what is happening with the yield curve, its recent history and where it is at the moment, you can go to the asset class on strictlybusinesspodcast.com and listen to Michael Power from Investec Asset Management about that. He's an investment strategist there and knows a bit about it, certainly more than I do and more than most people do. So have a listen to that. Okay, so we've done that. I didn't like what happened yesterday, Graham on the commodity prices with just the, a, a, a slight amount of US dollar strength versus the euro. Uh, suddenly saw gold tumble. It was thirteen twenty-five a week ago. It's now 12 85 That's quite a big move. Palladium lost almost $300 an ounce in the last week, which is an enormous fall. Platinum not doing so badly, but Palladium has been the frothy one and ETFs have been doing well. I just don't want it to end because we deserve more than 16 rand to 60 rand on Impala and even more on Anglo Platinum because they've been certainly in parlor in the doldrums for a couple of years now. Could we be seeing something because of the perceived economic slowdown worldwide that these industrial metals, and that's what they are, their runs are coming to an end?
1: I think there's also, um, if, if you remember where a lot of PGM demand is, it's ultimately in the AutoCAD industry. Yes. Um, and you've seen quite a few of the uh, the the. the uh, bigger car producers around the world commit more and more resources, more joint ventures to electric cars. So I think there may also be a little bit of angst around uh, you know what is what is demand going to look like in a world where suddenly you know the electric car is not sort of lunatic fringe thing, but it, where it becomes quite mainstream, and maybe one in ten cars is, is suddenly an electric vehicle. I think that might be what's 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 making the market a little bit anxious there. But I think your your analysis was exactly right. The Palladium market has been been very very strong for some time, with one or two other. Um, pgms as well whereas platinum of course has been relatively uh poor so i think no i'm not reading a hell of a lot into it but i think it is the the uniqueness around uh, the pgms and where the demand actually really comes from that's causing some uh, some volatility there but i think on uh, it's still a case of, of we're just taking the froth out of that market
0: maybe it harks back to what happened a few days ago with german industrial production figures coming out factory production figures coming out which was a shocker to the downside maybe the analysts have, have come and said to themselves well you know what well, this is one of the drivers of the palladium and the other uh, pgms and we've waited a few days but well, let's get out of it maybe the etfs uh, the redemptions of the the etfs in palladium take a few days to come through i don't know how it works but it seems to me that germany's mm. germany's playing a role here
1: yeah but i think also germany is sort of seen in many ways um probably as 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 the economy to invest in you know it's uh it's well run, it's, it runs surpluses, it's fiscally prudent, um, it uh, is a beneficiary, of course, of a, of a euro that is weaker than would be the case if, uh, if it was just Germany, yes. um, and probably has got uh, in terms of debt levels and everything else, far better uh, fundamentals than virtually in, in any other economy in the world. So I think it is sort of seen as the the, the poster child, and and uh, you know if the Germans are starting to get anxious, it might also be speaking something or speaking of something um, in, in in how Europe is interpreting the fiasco that is Brexit. But uh, again, you know I think you've always got to be careful when 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 asset markets, and doesn't matter whether it's Bitcoin or. Uh, you know, um, or palladium, or anything else. When 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 you see sort of eighty degree trajectories, you have to say, well, that may be a little over the top. And I think that's probably what's been happening there. And I think we, you know, we we've spoken about this over the years, Lindsay, about how you know ETFs and ETNs at the the margin can actually throw the natural supply demand out of out of whack for a while, and then it becomes self reinforcing. Yeah, and then suddenly people say. Well, the price is going up, so people are piling into the ETFs uh, or you know the the, the notes, and uh, that becomes self-reinforcing, and that. Continues until it no longer continues, and then suddenly we realise that those at the margin buyers and what was pushing those those asset prices actually was froth. And uh, when those buyers are not only no longer there, when some of them turn to be sellers, it, it creates a real dislocation. So, yeah, I'm not terribly anxious about what what, what we're seeing in in palladium as being some sort of uh, ill omen of of uh, you know collapsing global growth. I think it's just uh, it's, it's unique to those metals and 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 the price action that we've seen over the last year or two
0: soothing words steinhoff has been disposing of things a share price as we pre recorded this interview up 3.2 percent late morning in south africa NASPES has had a really good run it's up two percent i know you're a fan of NASPES as a shareholder what did you think of the spin-off of the internet assets into euronext is it a chance for discounts to disappear
1: yeah short answer is yes and that's why You know, we haven't been, you know, I'm I'm admitting we weren't massive NASPAS bulls for much of the last sort of five years. Um, But when we saw 30, 40 percent discounts to NAV with a clear strategy to unlock value, um, you know, we we felt uh, more compelled and also, you know, Ten Cent I think is a much better business than it was maybe three or four years ago in terms of diversification. Um, we've already seen them, you know, offload some of the Ten Cent. We've seen them offload Flipkart. Um, and i think the strategy to to list the internet assets in, in on the Euronext is another step in that process so you know i think it was always for us a case of the underlying components didn't actually have to do a lot um, that just the narrowing of the discount it, itself could actually give you 20 or 30% even if the underlying assets didn't uh, didn't revalue or appreciate so yeah we like it very much um, of course i think the jsc in terms of you know the market is probably the the User in this equation, but um, but probably a, a very good for us shareholders, and I think also for people. Who are drawn to those internet assets, be they ten or uh you know uh, the classifieds businesses or delivery hero it just gives you it gives you an interesting play, and we'll see uh, over time how the market actually values that so I think it could actually get a double win where you get a revaluation as relative to what we are maybe more conservatively valuing those internet assets at. Um, and you're going to get an unlock of the value because it'll be a a, a lot more visible. So, yeah, we like it very much.
0: Capitech, do you like that very much? It's got a 30 PE now, but that doesn't seem to stop it, does it? It went shooting up on the day of results, over 4% higher, and it's consolidating there. At some point, people are going to say, you can't keep on adding 120,000-odd people per month because there aren't that many people in South Africa. You're going to run out of people. certainly run out of people with money to transact with what 's your attitude as uh, okay, so an old school investor to a thirty p e share
1: well I think there there are two angles to this. The first one is the valuation looks daft, quite frankly because uh, you know uh, thirty three p e s are fine when you 're growing your profits at forty percent because or fifty percent because then you know the thirty three becomes a um, a much more manageable 16 or 18, not too far in the future. They're not doing that. They grew their profits by 19, which in itself is a credible number. But when you look at, uh, you know, in interest income, it, it it was virtually flat. Some of the fees were virtually flat. Transaction fees went up very nicely. Um, yeah, and the cost to income ratio is going the wrong way. So. I can see a world, regardless of of increased competition, where um, the cost-to-income ratio is going to continue to rise, and I think it's going to become more difficult for them in their traditional markets. So, um, add to that the fact that, you know, uh, Time Bank and Bank Zero and Discovery, are surely going to put downward pressure on on transaction fees. That 26% rise, I think that that, that they recorded in transaction fees, may be may be difficult to repeat in a world where where Time is um, is signing up three or four thousand customers a month. So, uh, you know, I look at it and I say I, I can't see why people would put this on a two two times peg. Um, you know i don 't wish them ill, but i don 't think the quality of the earnings were as good as the market is giving them the benefit uh, for, mm. particularly because you look at was really credit reversals you know impairments and, uh, and, and and a lower average tax rate I think in large part that that drove it together with um, with the transaction fee thing, which as I said, I think might be a, a, a more of a relic of the past so Um, I've I've got an uncomfortable feeling about this one, but I I haven't understood it ever. So, um, yeah, I was not one of those that that ran it from 100 brand to 1,300 brand. So you should take what I say with a pinch of salt. But Mm. I think it's starting to become a lot more vulnerable. And on a 30 multiple with that sort of outlook, I'd be a little bit cautious
0: okay if you were a little bit cautious with eoh a while ago you might have made yourself a lot of money because this is one that's gone from, <laughs> from 170 to its current level of he said nervously 10 10 round 45 down another nine percent today and i was talking to somebody about trying to get a dimension data graph up obviously dimension data delisted from the jse many many years ago but it went to around about 70 80 round a share and even during a convoluted auction in london went to something yeah. like 110 120 but that wasn't a real price that was a that was just a silly print but let's call it 75 rand per share it eventually came back down to something like 152 rand per share before it delisted at something like nine or ten i can't remember and i can't find the graph if anyone's got one please send it to strictly business for me but this eoh thing is is more or less the same i mean it's still the same business minus microsoft it wasn't worth 170 is it justified at 10 worth 170 justified at 10 there's two really there's a really big gap in between those two numbers
1: yeah so, so i think the, the the answers lie somewhere in between mm. um and i think clearly von has got his hands full uh trying to trying to clean this business up um i think the inference is that it's 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 rotten to the core that's what a 10 range share price is telling me i don't think that that's uh, fundamentally true i think it you know, of those 12,000 employees, I think there are lots of hardworking, honest, ethical, diligent people. Um, but unfortunately, right now, if you've got any question marks over you in this very nervous market, you're going to get punished. Um, and I think the other point for me is always, you know, when a... When a, when a share that's got a, a market cap of a billion rand or whatever the number might be, or three billion rand, moves on 10 or 20 million rands worth of stock, I tend to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. So in answer to your question is, my best guess is EOH was never worth 170. Um, we thought 90, it was starting to offer offer value, but then of course everything exploded. The the, the fall from let's say 14 to to, or let's say, 20 to 10 on Microsoft, I think, is completely overdone. But I think we need to get the results. We need to see just um, how bad things actually are. And I think also Mr. van Caller must now start that whole process of of culling the the, the assets that don't belong, uh, returning a little bit of cash. But it's around credibility. But I, I still maintain, you know, this morning – you know, whatever it is, ten or twelve thousand people who are EOH employees or contractors got up and went to work at clients um, or at EOH offices, and they continue to do valuable work in a in a world that has become very dependent on technology yeah so yeah. it's not as though it's not as though those all those contracts and all those customers suddenly evaporated although i do think that quite a few corporates will probably look at this thing and say well you know if we're trying to do the right thing ethically and and have a zero tolerance policy how do we how do we interpret this but the point that i'm trying to make is i still think that that at its core EOH renders a valuable service to society they've got You know some some great customers they've got good businesses in a variety of um of areas but um, until mr funcola can say to people with hand on heart i think this is a realistic uh prospect for the future we've cleaned it up we've held people accountable um you know and these are the, the this is the financial consequence of us losing microsoft uh, the market's just in absolute fear at the moment, so my best guess is it's worth considerably more than 10 rand. But I think it's going to take a little while longer for them to restore confidence than we might have thought a year ago.
0: Right, Graham. The week is going to end after this podcast has been broadcast. The <coughs> week is going to end with a Moody's decision. The rand is telling us that it's not going to be bad, and the bond market is telling us it's not going to be bad news. Rand currently 14.53 got to 14.75 yesterday, and the reason for that was, of course, a five percent fall in the Turkish. Now there's been some turkish delight this morning in terms of no more falls the rand has done its thing so what do we do do we say the new the new trading band is 14 let's call it 1425 to 1475 and we're more or less in the middle of that now where's your next 25 cents on the rand
1: it is uh, binary as far as i'm concerned i mean you've got a you let's call it 1450 yeah. it it can it can do 25 cents on nothing yeah. i think if your question is Would a a move to a negative watch by Moody's prompt a sell-off in the Rand um, after our market today and on Monday? I'm not sure. Um, Do I think that it's going to trigger a massive sell-off of South African bonds i I'm not sure I think to a large extent, the market, as I said earlier, has probably been predicting pre- been predicting a negative watch um that's the first thing I think the second thing is that although there might be hundred billion rands worth of assets um, that might be up for sale, I think uh, a lot of investors are also sort of smartening up to this um, if you look at 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 uh, at other countries that have gone to junk like brazil or Russia how You know, there's an initial sell-off and then how suddenly over time, or not suddenly, how over time you then uh, manage to claw back and those yields come back. Because let's face it, you know, you're earning two and a half on a 10-year in in, in the U.S. Uh, In Germany, uh, with the last auction, um, people took negative yields. So, you know, if you could earn 8.5% in South Africa and you feel, well, maybe the outlook is improving, I think there might be some contrarian bond investors who'd say, well, we'd actually like some of that. Um, so I think, I think, to a large extent, a negative watch has being discounted by the market. Um, the next 25 cents on the rand will probably be more driven by what's happening in the world than I think the Moody's rating. I think it's, I think we're going to get a negative watch and I think it's already discounted in the current price.
0: What are you doing for the next quarter? I mean, you're not a quarter to quarter sort of investor, you're a long term investor, but how are you positioning yourself for the rest of the year and beyond, Graham Kerner?
1: So, I think what we've been doing, um, we've we've bought a lot more in the last sort of three months um, than we have probably for a couple of years, seeing a lot more value. We're going to continue to follow that. I think we still believe that there are some very good assets that have been marked down. You look at Discovery, that's lost over 20% on a one-year view in spite of being a really well run well placed company that's delivering you look at absa sitting on a 9 pe and a, almost a 7% dividend yield so so we we're, we're saying you know what we we believe that that the south african elections will go according to script the anc will get the majority and will not need to go into sort of very destabilising coalitions. Um, we believe that that will probably, on, on balance of arguments, allow President Ramaphosa to um, further entrench his position within the NEC and hopefully to drive some of the policy changes that are that are necessary in South Africa. Um, that could be a far more enabling environment than we've seen. For many years, um, and we do believe there 's f- a fair amount of pent up energy so ironically we 're using this negativity um, particularly in small caps, but on anything where people are unsure um, on how to sort of value it we 're using that as an opportunity to add those portfolios add, add those to portfolios that have been very very heavily inv- uh, uh, invested in cash for the last two or three years so we actually are up-weighting quite quickly, and we, uh, I think we'll continue to do that as we see the markets come off.
0: Graham Kerner, thanks very much for your insight. That was Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective, and that was The Weekly Wrap. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.